I love challenges. And I just said, you know, Andrew, like this is where the boys and the men are separated, right? Like you're gonna come back from this and have the best story ever, or you're gonna just give up and just, if, if, if I'm gonna do this for another two months, Andrew, just give up. I'm talking to myself now. Or you can mm-hmm. just get up, fix this, you're fine, move on. Welcome to the Grid Investor Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I've got Andrew Abernathy of Abernathy Holdings. Now, Andrew and I have become good friends over the last year, just full disclosure. He's an amazing human being, and I think you're going to love his story. Just to give you a little sneak peek, by the time he was 18 years old, he had raised $10 million. So if you're interested in how somebody that's 18 years old raised $10 million and how he's now moved into the storage business and is doing some amazing things there, then you've got to listen to this episode. I know you're going to find it interesting and that you're going to learn a lot. So tune in. Hey, well, great family today. I've got Andrew Abernathy on here with me from Scottsdale, Arizona. Actually, he's not from Scottsdale. He's from North Dakota originally, right? But he's running his business out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Abernathy Holdings. Andrew, thanks so much for sharing time with me on the Grid Investor Podcast today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm excited to join. Well, dude, you know, you and I met a few weeks back in Florida at a kind of like mastermind retreat, getaway, just decompress, talk shop. And I was blown away by your story. And what I wanted to do was really share your story with our Grid audience, because I believe people learn through stories, like tangible stories. And so I want to go back in time to talk about when it all started with you, because I believe you started your investing career at the age of 13. Is that right? Yeah, back at the farmhouse. <laughs> Let's talk about that. How did you get started? All right. So I actually loved numbers and business when I was like 10 years old. I kind of had a passion for it. My, my dad noticed it. And we farm about 15 miles from Canada in Lansford, North Dakota. Five siblings and I, so there's six of us. We all helped in the farm. And I was getting paid $5 an hour to run grain cart and combine and help market the grain. And I thought I was marketing the grain. My dad was watching over me, but I felt good at the time. I thought I was doing it myself. (laughs) I had six grand saved up by the time I was, you know, that 13, 14. I spent $2,000 on a go-kart because, you know, can you blame me? But I had 4,000 left. So the 4,000 I had left, I already had three, four years under my belt of just like learning the grain markets and farming. Like, what is this? Well... In 2008, 2009, as everybody knows, markets were crashing. The general world was crashing. And it kind of caught my eye, obviously, it was all over the news. And so I went to my dad. I'm like, hey, I want to open a brokerage account, but I'm not 18, so I need to use your name. That sounds good. So I opened an account with his name, put 4000 in it that I left after my go-kart. And I was buying you know, Ford at $0.99, cents, Bank of America at $3, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac at $0.20, $0.30. Cents. Now, at the time, again, this was, I'll just say, it was pretty dumb luck. I mean, I don't know what I was doing. I was just, I'm like, I know what Ford is. I know what Bank of America is. 99 cents, that's cheap. That's cheap. <laughs> Put it in. And then time went by. So, you know, I'm going to give you a timeline. So that's 08, 09. That was 09 when I finally went in on that. Ninth grade in high school. And then in 2010, it was worth $80,000. It went that fast. Because the market rebounded after that. I mean, March 5th of 09, I think was the bottom. So I kind of came in a few days after. Again, I had no idea it was bottoming. I just so happened it was that time. Parallel to that, my brother and I started farming. My grandpa retired in 2010 or nine. So 2010, my brother and I took over his land and started farming. And that was 
few months prior to cashing out of the market. Then I went and I'm like, you know, I really want to get into real estate. Stock market's cool and stuff, but I want to get in real estate. And so I went to my buddy's dad. Uh, he's a banker in Wall, town of 800. And I'm like, hey, I got $80,000 and a very minimal balance sheet that just says $80,000 on it. I want a $1.25 million loan to buy these apartments in Bismarck three hours away because it look, kind of looked like the oil boom was picking up again, kind of like the 80s. And I'm like, Bismarck is sitting there like, oil boom isn't even happening. And I'm like, that's where it's going to hit next, real estate wise. He's like, Andrew, you're going to need another $300,000 down and in the balance sheet. So I didn't have any money for lawyers. I mean, I did, but I needed my money for investing. Yeah. So I went and printed off Warren Buffett's 1956 partnership agreement. And I whited out the names and I went to two farmers. And I'm like, hey, I need 150 grand from both of you. I'm going to put my 80 in. We'll be pro rata share ownership. No payments to me. I'll run it for free. And if I fail, you can have my 80. You can like, you know, if the property drops in a little value, you have a cushion because I'll be mm -hmm. first loss. So for them, they're like, hey, it's real estate. It's in Bismarck. It works. So they gave me the money. So three, two to three days later, I went back to the banker. I'm like, hey, here you go. He's like, oh, OK, because I mind you, I'm in 10th grade in high school. Right. <laughs> That's right. I just want to put a little <laughs> emphasis <Yeah>. on that. <laughs> so we bought them. And went back to school, this is three hours away. So I went back to school and high school and I'm farming and my brother and I started bringing, we started renting equipment from my dad, farming equipment, hauling it to South Dakota, custom combining, and then bringing it back for our harvest to make some spread on that. Clothing line, I mean, I was just doing anything to make money. I went out to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware and worked at a bed and breakfast and Chinese restaurant for two months every summer when I was 14, 15. So anyways, fast forward, I'm sitting there my senior year in high school, 2012. And I sold the apartments. The city of Bismarck offered us $2 million for them. Oil boom did hit hard. Mm -hmm. And it was 2012, 13, it was in full swing. And so we sold them. We had about a million dollars net of bank debt and everything. So the 380 went to a million in about 18, 20 months. So I went back to these two farmers and I'm like, hey, here's yours, here's mine. And they're like, Andrew, that was cool. We're going to give you 300,000. Even though it's a little more than you deserve, here's 300. And the other 700, we want to put it back in, but you need to charge us this time. So there I am graduating high school. I love farming. I love farmland, but I didn't like like running it, managing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, all right, my brother can run this. What do I, how big do I have to get to do this and live, make money? So I went to a lawyer, took 12,000 out of my 300,000. I said, I need a legit offering. And he taught me what I needed. I had no idea what I needed. He's mm -hmm. like, all right, Andrew, you know, you need a PPM, private placement memorandum. And you need this, this, and this. Okay, draw it up. So we did. And we just did a 2% management fee. And that was that. So I had a million dollars in there. And I'm like, okay, well, now what? Again, I'm 18. Mm -hmm. I had a million dollars in a checking account. I got a PPM that says I can go raise in there $10 million. So I'm like, okay. So I went back home. It was raining. Went back home from college. I was college in Fargo. And it was raining now. And I said, I'm going to go knock on some doors. So I started knocking on doors, farmers' doors, you know, in a 30 mile radius. And I was raising a million bucks a day. So here's my question, right? I would imagine that these are farmers that maybe knew you, maybe yes. knew. It's almost like, you know, I want people to hear it's probably your family's probably been farming in that area for a long time. 1905. Yeah, okay. forever. So people know the family name. Yep. And here's this young scrapping guy. I could just imagine, right? Like being yeah. an older farmer being like, I like this kid. I know the yeah. family. I'm Farming's been to, good. Farming's been good, right? So they've yep. been doing good. And now they're looking for another vehicle, maybe to do some investments. Correct. Okay. Yep. And it wasn't huge. Like nobody was giving me a million bucks, right? It was kind of like, hey, 
I'll give you $50,000. Like, this is cool. You know, farming was record. Like there's three times since in the last hundred years where farming's just been really good. Well, farming in like 06 to 14 was one of those periods. And I was going around in 12, 13 doing this. So it was just perfect timing, right? Yeah. So yeah, 50 to 100 grand a door. And it was a volume game. I knocked on a lot of doors and I was just getting that 50 to 100, 50 to, I'd go in and say, hey, give me a half million. But if I were to go ask for 100, they'd give me 20. I raised $10 million in about eight months, eight, 10 months. And that's when I was really like, I mean, I'm building the plane when I'm flying it, right? Like, obviously I'm an honest guy and all that. Like, it was all good. I'm just like, all right, who am I? Like, what's going, like this happened way faster than I could have ever imagined. So then I started buying companies and everything kind of started off from there. Let's back up, right? So yeah. Well, you made your first initial money on stocks, right? And then you made yeah. it on real estate. But then you were like, okay, I'm going to go buy a company, right? Yeah. Which means I should have stuck to have... real estate. <laughs> well, let's talk about that, right? So <laughs> so you were like, okay, I'm going to go buy a company. What was the first company? There was a company for sale called Normont Equipment. Started in 1947. Second generation family member was selling it. And they said, hey, it's $3.2 million. This is in Great Falls, Montana. And they sell municipal equipment to city, states, and counties in the Midwest. Great business. I can go on forever about it, but really good. You know, like 25% return on hard assets. So they were asking about 200% hard asset. And I said, and this was before I raised the 10 million. This is when I had the million. I didn't raise the 10 million. I drove there. I'm like, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to go to Great Falls for a bit. (laughs) I slept in my car there because it's 12 hour there. So I slept in it one night. Then I stayed in a $20 night hotel, which story on its own, kind of sketchy. And I went in and I'm like, I like it. Can you guys sell or finance $2.2 million of it? (laughs) They did it 20 years, no balloon, four and a half percent fixed, no personal guarantee. Yeah. Unbelievable. Great negotiation, right? (laughs) That's all you had. So, but how did you decide that that was going to be the first business? Like what made you say, okay, well, you know what? I see this. I understand this. Like, here's how I'm going to derive more value out of it. Or this is what I see for this business. I mean, yeah. The first thing is it's funny. I mean, it was tough to find a business I could afford first off. And that was one of them. What I select is a Warren Buffett, 25 to 30% return on assets. You know, that's really attractive. And I like the municipality aspect of it. So it's 30 day net receivables or less. It's always cash. Mm -hmm. So receivables can kill a business. I like that. Just simple. You know, I I liked everything about it. And I could have, I couldn't afford it, but it was close enough if I could make a deal. Okay. So I'm, and how old are you at the time? Oh, 19. 19. I remember closing. I had to use fake ID to get a drink at the closing table. So I don't know if I can say that or not. (laughs) I'm 27 now. So here you are, you're 19, right? You sell this business. They'd probably been running the business for how long? How many years? 1947. 1947, right? So you probably had like all these, I'm just picturing all these dudes that work in this business, right? And here's this 19 year old kid that comes in and buys this business. So like, what did that first like management meeting look like? I'm just curious, like, okay guys, here's your new owner. (laughs) Yeah. They were all pretty cool. I think the funny thing for me was this is one of my mistakes in life and it worked out for me, but you know, I buy this business, I'm sitting there and I'm like, gosh, you know, I've kind of forgot to find myself a manager because he was the guy was going to stay for six months. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I didn't buy this to sit here. Like, I got to go put more money to work parallel to me closing. I raised the other 10 million. So I'm sitting here just like, whew, kind of forgot that part. So it was, but he was really cool though. And I got introduced. So I closed in January. I got introduced to an individual in Idaho in his 30s that's been in the industry forever. Really great. 
And I offered him the position and he moved his family there and started in April, April of that okay. year. So I didn't have to hold the fort down too long. I don't know how many mistakes I made that he had to unravel, but I held it down. I'm good at numbers, but management, you know, don't, don't sign me up. <laughs> okay. Well, that's cool. So you found the who to essentially run that business. Do you still own Correct. that business today or is we do? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So when we bought it, they were doing 3 million in revenue and now we're doing, we're coming up on 12 million here pretty quick. So the guy has been a rock star. That is a success story. Mm -hmm. That is not the operating company that I refer to when I say I should have stayed in real estate, but mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get to them next. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. Well, that was the first business you bought and that's yep. a simple business. You were like, okay, I understand this. You found the right who. And simultaneously, you, you raised $10 million, right? Okay. What were you going to do with those 10 million? Did you have a plan or you're like, okay, shoot, now I got to go find more of these type of <laughs> yep. businesses. Okay. So then I went out and I'm like, gosh, you know, Warren Buffett insurance, that's kind of how his company started. So I want to get into insurance. So I Googled market cap insurance companies that are public that are like market caps of 40 million and lower. And I found one. I can't say the name right now because we're doing some stuff with it as we speak, but, and this wasn't far after that. So I've been involved in that for six years. And we went and just started buying shares on the market at a 50% book. And most insurance companies sell for 90 plus. It was selling so cheap, low volume, small company. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we became the largest shareholder, you know, sure. about three years. And that company started in 1947 too, which is really funny. And anyways, so anyways, I, I got my ownership built up and I show up to the annual meeting. I'm like, I'd like to be on the board. I showed up to a couple of them. So they knew and they're like, Andrew, you know, you're a big shareholder now. This makes sense but we have an in-house rule that you have to be have prior experience on a board. And they're like, we can waive that. But there is a state at the Alabama insurance commissioner, you have to be 30 years or older to be on a mm -hmm. public company board. So he's like, you're gonna have to go and change the state stuff. A lot of work, but sounds good, give me a name. So I spent a year doing audits and everything and I got an exemption to join the board at 23, a public that company board on NASDAQ. <laughs> That's crazy. I think you mentioned earlier, it was like, how many have been able to do that? It's like you, yeah, you, Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, Evan Spiegel, yeah, yeah, the Snapchat. Just a handful. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I'm just, not as cool as them, but still, it's cool. Hey, man, it's cool. That's very cool. <laughs> so you still own that business today, right? And at some point, I remember when you and I were talking, you were like, okay, this is good. I have this business, yep. but I need to maybe focus right on a yeah. vertical or focus on a expertise like so let's go there right this is almost like your time where you're finding yourself a little bit like where you totally. fit in the world yeah yep and then the next one i bought which is the hugest loss i've had so far and this is what triggered that so then after that was done i found a helicopter company bristow what? helicopters publicly traded largest leasing helicopter company in the world oil was going down in 14 in price this company went from $70 a share, like $3 billion in market cap down to like $10 a share. So a couple hundred million in market cap. And it had still 2 billion in assets net and it had 500 million in cash. So I'm like, it's gonna make it through and everything's gonna be great. So I put a million dollars in at $10 and it goes to $20 and I sell. Great story, right? So far, double our money. I look back after cashing out like six months later and it's back down to 12 bucks. I'm like, what the heck? Same company, you know, Warren Buffett play. So I put a million in, goes to 10, put a million in, goes to eight, put a million in. And then uh, the management got switched up. They had some, with, they withheld some information. Doesn't matter, it was my fault. Long story short, went bankrupt, lost everything. We had a civil lawsuit with them. We had the lead plaintiffs. We did win, but we got back like 
$300,000, so 10 cents on the dollar. And that is when my billionaire mentor that I met cold calling him a couple years prior to that said, Andrew, you know, you're great at a lot of things, but you're not good at anything. Like You got to mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. And that was right when that happened. And, you know, at the time, that was probably 15% of our portfolio. So it hurt. We doubled in size in four years value-wise and then just mm-hmm. had this first down year. And that was a really tough time for me. Yeah, I would imagine. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of the different emotions that you go through that because people don't, unless you've experienced something like that, like sometimes you could just be like, oh, it was a little blip on the radar, but there was probably <laughs> a lot of like emotional angst around it and trying yeah. to probably figure out how to get out of the situation, trying to solve the problem. So walk me through that. Like what, Correct. what did you experience and what did you learn? I got the call on Thanksgiving. We were hosting Thanksgiving at my house in Fargo with my wife. And so that was tough. I came out of the office just like a white ghost. And, you know, it was it was horrible. I was, I was probably hardest on myself in losing someone. And I and again, the fund was fine, but it dropped in value. And I had to tell everybody. And it was just it was a silent, eerie, awkward time with my investors. And it was really, really hard. And and I had thoughts in my mind. Do I just stop and give up? Was it just a lucky run? You know, is it a lucky run for the last eight years? Is this for me? You know, just things you ask yourself. Just let's be real, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, I was only 24, 25 at the time. Like, you know, if, if I was 50 and had 30 years of a good run or whatever, I maybe could have felt different. But I was so young. I'm like, gosh, maybe I was just lucky. Maybe everybody was right. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe this isn't. Maybe I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are the things I go through head right when it happened. Then I decided How'd you get that. Out of that? That lasted for about a month or two. And then I love challenges. And I just said, you know, Andrew, like this is where the boys and the men are separated, right? Like you're going to come back from this and have the best story ever, or you're going to just give up and just, if, if, if I'm going to do this for another two months, Andrew, just give up. I'm talking to myself now. Or you can mm-hmm. just get up, fix this. You're fine. Move on. So I personally loaned enough money into the company for just cash flow operation wise, because assets were fine. We lost some, but that, you know, some cash flow operations for 12 months, loaned it in, no interest, just doing the right thing mm-hmm. and talk to Gary about focusing. And that's when I just stared at a wall and I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? And I knew real estate, I always succeeded because in between all these deals I just told you, I had houses that I bought and flipped. I went and bought $6.9 million in real estate once, put a hundred grand into them and sold them for 9 million in the matter of like 12 months. Like everything I did in real estate, like I just had a knack for it. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, all right, well, it's going to be real estate. And Gary Theraldson had this model of, owning a construction company and he built he built 250 Marriott's and sold them to Goldman Sachs. That's how he became a millionaire. So I'm like, gosh, I want to be a developer because there's no scalable. And so then I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Maybe I should do hotels. So I go talk to Gary and Gary's like, you know, yeah. So then I had it down between assisted living facilities and self-storage. And I picked self-storage because simple farm boy, I don't, you know, it's just easy. No tenants. Every employee's twenty million in assets. It's simple. So I picked it. I threw my dart, and that's what it was. Because everybody looks for the idea. There isn't the idea out there. You just got to go pick one and make it yours, right? Yeah. So that's what I did. And then I went through the portfolio we had: insurance company, equipment dealership, all these things. I'm like, well, what works? What is vertical? I'm like, well, the equipment dealership works. Sell mm-hmm. ourselves our own equipment. Mm-hmm. Insurance, maybe, maybe we could sell our own tenant insurance. But mm-hmm. it turns out extra space storage requires us to use there. So that's why we are exited out of that. And then we started a construction company and a garage door dealership. And that was three, four years ago. And that's when we went from a $20 million company to well over a hundred million now in just a few years. Just adding these vertically integrated businesses, right? Yep. And attracting, we raised another 50 million just then. And then 
recently. So now we're going to be bigger now, but we raised 50 million from that point up until six months ago. And then now we're working on some other stuff now too, but it catapulted us. When you started raising that money, did you go back to the farmers or did you, was the net now much larger because you had a track record and you started going? 10% back because again, these are the farmers that already put a lot in 10 to 15 million at the time, probably 15 mm -hmm. now because we started with 10 or five. And they were like, you know, most of them are still behind me and right, even though with the Bristow thing, but they didn't probably want to put more with me. They were still though, like, we believe in you, but let's just see what happens here. And so I cast the net pretty wide, had a good track record and raised that money outside of the farming community. So what does the model look like today? So walk me through the exact model. Yeah. So today it's all about self-storage class A. So we look in the major, we have a criteria that's simple. We need a hundred thousand people in a three mile radius. We need 100,000 household income in a three mile radius. We need to be on and visible from a main thoroughfare of you know 50 to 70,000 vehicles per day. And we need to have rates of $1.70 plus per foot. That's our criteria. Mm -hmm. And now that obviously brings us to the major cities. And our construction company, our general contracting company, we hire subcontractors. We're out of Arizona. We can go from the Mississippi West, including Hawaii and Alaska. That's where we can build. So our land crew, what they do, so we'll, our land guys will come in and they'll source sites in that territory that meet our criteria, you know, about three, three and a half acres. We'll buy the site, we'll bring it through zoning and permitting, takes about 10 to 12 months. And then they hand it to our construction company. And then the construction company will go and build this class A self-storage facility in about 10 months. And class A self-storage is basically a beautiful three-story, 100,000 square foot usually, 71,000 net rentable. Mm -hmm. And we use extra space storage and public storage to brand them and manage them, which is mm -hmm. the new thing in the industry as of three years ago. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like Hilton and Marriott and hotels. That's kind of what it's like. And they take them and then when the doors open, it's handed to extra space and or public storage to brand and manage. And we're just the owner and they take 6% of the revenue. It's still a business. We still get everything above the 6% management fee from them. We own the asset. And then to dive in further, I thought, okay, well, we need to be vertical, right? So we have our construction company. So we save 600,000 a facility there. We rent, so the equipment, the site needs a job trailer, our tower lights and cameras. We need water trucks, all of that. So we rent all that equipment to it from Norman Equipment, which we own. Mm -hmm. And then the site needs a thousand garage doors. So guess what? We're a garage door dealer. So every storage we net about 100 to 150,000 net on that too. And as we get growing here, so right now we're doing 50 million a year in development. We have the financing in place to ramp up to do 200 million a year by 2025. Financing in place, we're just getting the dirt ready. Once we get to that point, we're building one new one every month. And when we're building a new one every month, there's more vertical integrations. We can be our own title company, our own garage door installation, not just dealer. Maybe HVAC, roofing, there's so many things. Where's the bottleneck on that? Is it the land about, is it acquiring the land, sourcing it? I would imagine that's probably- Yep, getting the land part. and getting it through the city, getting mm -hmm. approval to build storage, self-storage. Because the industry is still, you know, it has that stigma of the old rogue, creepy, you know, robbers and murderers hanging out there. These are beautiful 24 seven, look like a hotel, mm -hmm. gorgeous. And now they're in the very urban, nice areas. Yeah. So we're, we're still trying to get over that. I think I told you there was one that was built here in, in Reston. I think it's an extra space and it's beautiful. Like absolutely oh, they're gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah. Like really, it does. It looks like a hotel, like you would yep. see it. So it's interesting. Yep. And we're a really dense, dense place. And the spot that they picked was perfect. 
more than likely it wasn't them that picked it, right? It was a developer that found it, did it, and they're just managing it. I'm sure they probably own some as well. Yeah, so Extra Space Storage is an example. They own probably 1,500 facilities. They don't build any, but they own 1,500 facilities, but they manage. I mean, it grows every year because it just started, but they're probably about as much as they own, they manage now and growing because they just started it. And the, the industry is interesting because 5% is only owned by the major REITs and owned or managed. Mm-hmm. 95% is mom, pa, Bob's hotel, yeah. Jeff's hotel. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? There's so much yeah. opportunity. That's so what the hotels were in the 80s. Yeah, you could start just bringing those, all those in. I was telling a story today about Marcus Limonis. You know who Marcus yeah. Limonis is? From the love his show. Yeah, yeah love great, show. right? Love that show, right? Oh, it's the best. So when I started researching him, I realized that what he did was he took all of these like mom and pop RV like places and brought them under one umbrella and, and rebranded everything like Camping World. And and that was, and actually he had a mentor. He had a, a mentor in the car dealership business. Who was it? He wrote a book, super famous guy. I'm drawing a blank now. Yeah, he bought a car dealership on one of the shows, episodes, because I watch every one of them. Marcus yeah. did. And so anyhow, he had a kind of like a mentor that said, you got to find a fragmented industry and then try to, to bring that together. So can. it sounds like that's what you're doing. Correct. And that's what we're doing. And, you know, each site we build just for numbers, too, is about 13 million. But we build it for about 11 and a half. Because, again, we our vertical companies net one and a half million combined on each site. So before the doors open, mm-hmm. we made one and a half million dollars compared to the guy that just went and built on retail. And then once they're stabilized in this market, you can get about 22, 23 million. But it takes do time. Have, do you have like a CEO or a manager? I mean, I would imagine you do. But I'm just thinking of the hierarchy. There's got to be somebody that's running that garage store company at a high level, right? So what does that standalone business look like by itself? Yeah, so we do buckets. So we have Matt Halverson's the president. He's my partner. He's the largest shareholder in Abernathy Holdings next to me. So he takes care of a lot. He's my right-hand man. We're, you know, we we talk about everything together. Mm -hmm. And then Nate Mayhus runs everything with construction and development and finding sites. And he's got people there too that help him out. So he's our man there. If you have a question about storage, Nate will talk me under the table on that. He's amazing. And then Luke Stewart, he's the individual I hired that went and almost double, tripled that company. Anything with equipment, garage doors, materials, we just run it all through Great Falls. So, you know, Normont equipment, we're going to be ramped up here. We have about 30 employees now. We'll be at about 50. We'll probably cap out at 50 when we're doing 12 a year, 200 million Mm -hmm. development. Out of Great Falls, we're going to have probably 30 of those. And then our construction company, we have a superintendent on each site that works out of a job trailer. So there's right. 12 of those and then three project managers and then the office and Nate. So those are my buckets. I talk. And then Charles is our CFO. So we've right. got, I talked to Charles, Nate, Luke, and Matt. Those are my right. people. And obviously I have relationships with individuals that work with them, but I don't tell them what to do or I don't yeah. confuse or step on toes. Yeah, expanded control typically teaches you, hey, five people, right? You're going to pour into your five leaders at yep. most. Maybe you can do six, seven, but it starts getting hard it's beyond lot. that, yeah. right? Yeah, your five, and then they've got their five, and they've got their five, right? Correct. Okay, so you're 27. Got three boys this, under four. <laughs> I know, three boys under four, right? Probably a patient wife who's, Beautiful you know. Wife. Oh, yeah. yeah. What does the next decade look like for you then? Well, we're really ramping up now. So the next decade is going to be exciting because the last decade was just trying to get a reputation and build, put some together. Now that it's put together, the real work starts. So mm-hmm. we want to ramp up here in two to three years, which we have the funding for to get to one a month, 200 million. And then we're going to plateau there. And, you know, so we're going to build probably 111 of these storage facilities that are worth 20 some million plus each 
not including inflation. Mm -hmm. And then as my extra money cashes out, I'm going to go. So my, Matt and I own 51% of the company. So we're going to probably go and, you know, a lot of these investors are 50, 60, 70, 80. So I think over the next decade, and I think by the end of the decade, you know, Matt and I might be up to 80 or 90% just from buying people out with mm -hmm. cash flow on top mm -hmm. of the 12 year. But we got to make sure our 12 year pipeline does not stop because that's where the money is. Mm -hmm. Developing is where your money is because that's where our vertical companies get fed and we make millions a year on that. So I'd like to build 111 by 2032. And then the decade after that, oh boy, game <laughs> on. let's go. Maybe we'll start up in the East, 24 a year, I don't know. Okay, so let me think about this in my head as you're kind of like building this out. I'm thinking, how big is the sales force to go out there and, you know, I guess find it'd sites. be like, your, yeah, find sites. How many people do you have out there? Three. But they're all, and the cool thing is we found guys that like Nate leads it. And that's one of his main things is he works on that. And then he's got two guys that he brought on that. They both of them invested millions into Abernathy Holdings. And they're mm -hmm. both in their thirties, forties, and they are looking for something to do, but they don't need income. So we did a bonus structure. If we use sites, they find, and we gave them territories. Mm -hmm. And then we told all of them that they can go and get interns for 10 an hour to just help. You know, you find a thousand lots, you make an offer on 10. You get three accepted and you get one. Yeah, you know, it's just a go. volume game. Yeah, it's a volume game, right? It's no different if you're renovating houses, you're looking to, you know, wholesaling and you got to find, you know, the deals. Yeah, it's just a lot more zeros in the, yeah. in the image playing right now. So we have okay. three great, and finding the sites is, is hard, but it's easiest because once you have it, going through zoning and permitting with a city for 12 months, oh my gosh, mind-numbing bureaucracy. <laughs> Who does that within the organization? We leave that on each of those. So those individuals, the ones that have invested a lot and have really good real estate minds, those three head that up. So if they find a site, we give them half their commission at closing and we'll give them half the commission once they hand it to our construction team. Got it. And they can hire and use what they want. If they can do it themselves, they pocket all their, their commission we're going to give them. And if they need to hire, it, basically let them treat it like their own little business. Sure. Here's sure. a check for this site. When you get a shovel ready, you can hire it all out if you want. I don't care. Just get us the site and that's their job. Interesting. Have you ever read, or are you familiar with Trammell Crow? No, I'm not. I should write that one okay. down. Okay. Yeah. Go and, and research him. It was interesting because he built like the largest commercial development arm. And I want to say it was like in the eighties. It was probably in the eighties. And yeah. the way he did it, I'd got to go back. I didn't read the book, but I've had so many people tell me about it. You can't just find the book easily anywhere. I think the book's oh, really? a couple hundred. Yeah. Sold out. But essentially he built his entire business by developing partners in these markets and owning and splitting everything 50-50 with those partners. So That's he smart. just went nationally that way. So many people, millionaires in the business, so many people grew out of, you know, the whole Trammell Crow culture. So yep. I've got to go back and read it, you know, or I've got to go and read it myself. And then I would encourage you to read it because so many people have told me. Good yeah, book. please do. Because that's yeah. what we're trying to do is, you know, like most construction companies, what they do is they're like, I own the construction company. I own the garage or dealership. And then they go buy a site, they zone it, they mark it up 200%, and then they find investors to come buy into that. And then they charge that entity retail of their company. Mm -hmm. So what I said was, you know what? I'm going to just put everything in a pile, put a label on it and sell shares. And that's what we did. I, you know, I still have control of it, but now all of our investors, all of our partners and staff has bought in. We, had, we enjoy people to buy units sure. on, the, on the high level. They get to own pro rata share of the construction. They own pro rata share of everything. And there's nothing that I, Andrew, hold on the outside and start charging. You know, it's just so common. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's unique that we do that. 
Yeah. Well, you've created these partners, right? You just did it a little bit different way and you created the shares, right? That's awesome. How many shares outstanding? 514. Okay. Last 20 million, we sold at a 120,000 each, which I think was a little light price, but. Okay. Okay. What makes you stay up at night, right? Do you see anything in the horizon that you're like, ah, I'm going to keep my eye on this because I'm a little bit concerned about what's happening with this in the economy. I think what keeps me up most at night is just, we have a lot of scaling up to do. A lot of money was raised the last six months. So I'm just, I don't want to let anybody down. And I know we won't, we have a great team, but you know, I stayed up like, gosh, you know, we got to pull it through. It's a lot of development we got to do. As for the economy, we keep pretty low leverage. We're 35, 40% down. Mm-hmm. So I don't worry too much about the economy just because I know we're, we're pretty insulated from it. If something were to happen, we have a lot of equity to for cushion. Sure. And I'm, we're all long-term and I tell all my investors, this is 10 plus years, you know, it's not a year to year thing. So I'm fine there. The reason I like to be with extra space storage is there are, you know, neighbors and a few other companies coming out that it's like Airbnb for storage, which I think is a really cool model. But I think if in income levels of 100,000 plus, I think they're going to like to have the facility and access and lights because, and if you make 50,000 less, I can see that person be like, hey, I can go rent a dude's closet for $20 a month. I'm going to do that. So that's part of why we look for, you know, high income areas. So I feel like we have a good plan in place for that hedge, but I think that's a cool model. I didn't even know that that model was out there right now. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. And I think they'll do well. Again, I think they'll do well in that 60,000 income down, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to go store something in some guy's closet, which is cool. It's like, hey, can I grab my skateboard? You know what I mean? Like, you see a family making 100 grand plus doing that? I don't Definitely know. Definitely not. Definitely so. not. That's why we have our very strict income level for our sites. (laughs) Well, it's it's cool because now you've got an avatar. When you've got focus, you've got an avatar. You can, like you said, I think the biggest challenge is just going to be the amount of work that's involved to do what you guys want to do. It's speed, right? It's like, okay, let's just execute now. We know what we're doing. Let's just execute. Yeah. I was going to say, if I'd have been handed this seven years ago, it would have been a different story. I wouldn't have been ready. But we're staffed up now, ready. And, you know, things, very fortunate to have who I have on on my team. What's interesting is I always ask this question and it almost doesn't seem appropriate at the time because for you, but we'll see, you know, normally it's today. What would you say to yourself, right? To your younger self, what advice would you give, you know, that 13 year old, that 14 year old? Because to me, I'm like, I just feel like you hit that path. You hit that stride very quickly. It's like, I don't think you would change. Like nothing needs to change, but maybe there's some little lessons you learned along the way that you're like, okay, you probably think about this a little bit differently or do this a little bit differently. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's tough, right? If obviously, if I was 13, I wish I could say, hey, focus, do self-storage, here's the model, stick to real estate. But then again, all the mistakes that I just talked about, I mean, my focus would not be as laser. I'd be a weak focus guy. I'd be very weak. What I mean by that is you could penetrate my focus easily because I never had any experience. I'm so focused and nobody can penetrate it because I know the hurt and the pain Mm -hmm. and the struggle that goes with not focusing. So I don't know. I think everything I've done kind of made me who I am, I guess. And I know that sounds really cliche, but obviously I'd be a lot farther if I did this earlier, this plan. Yeah, but but it's true. It's like, it's, you know, we're training people in our organization. They can conceptually understand what we're explaining to them. But until they actually get on the street and make mistakes, they don't fully understand. Then when they go through the training again, they're like, oh, this oh. makes so much sense now, yeah. right? Because it's up until that point, it's all conceptual. You've got to make those mistakes in order to grow. Right? Correct. And I'm really glad. I'm always the dumbest one in every room. And I love that. That's a, my best talent. <laughs> Everybody in the organization, they're the smarter at me in their area. 
And I love that. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want, I want to, like, for example, we're done raising money now. So I went to Nate and Luke and Matt. And I'm like, hey, guys, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. you know, what can I do for you guys? Like, I'll be your employee. Like, mm-hmm. just to stay busy, you know? I mean, obviously, I'm an owner and I'm thinking about the future. Like, we're putting Amazon lockers in these things. We're catering towards mm-hmm. Amazon vendors. There's server farms. Maybe we can put like server rooms in these to rent out because that's a big thing now. They're trying to move servers and they're trying to locate them. All this crazy stuff. So I'm thinking about that. But yeah, how can I work for you? And I think that's kind of cool because a lot of bosses are so egotistical sometimes. You've got some Chinese Bitcoin miners trying to find new space in the United States, some storage space to run some Come of on the, in. the server. Give me that Bitcoin money. <laughs> Dude, this has been awesome. Thanks so much I for really sharing time, it. right? You know, it's interesting because you just said you're pretty much done with your raising of money at this point. I mean, for yeah. a few years at least. And I don't know, we might be snowballing at that point. So I don't know if we need more, but maybe in a few years, I'll take another 20 to 30 million, but it's going to be close. We might be good to go because we need 60 million cash per year to do 12 a year. 60 yeah. million in cash, not including okay. bank debt. But we should be good, I think, with refining and selling after we get these 20, 25 up here. I think maybe the biggest value that we can provide is just amplifying the message that you guys are looking for locations yes. right, in the target areas that you mentioned, right? So yes. if somebody's listening to this, exactly. If somebody's listening to this and like, oh, Andrew's criteria, how would they reach you? Like, what's the easiest way to reach you? Yeah. So andrewabernathy.com. Don't forget the E wide silent. The e, it's abernathy.com and abernathyholdings.com. So those two sites, business, personal, number, email, and that's my cell phone on there. So just call. I'm pretty easy. You can text me if you want to. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's great. And hopefully what will happen is maybe helped you secure a location or two somewhere in the future. Oh, that'd be be awesome. awesome. Because there are about two and a half million needs. There's a lot of commission to be had if you're a broker out there. So bring them our way. We're easy to work with. (laughs) That's great. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for sharing time today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You take care. Bye. You too.